0: Hello and welcome to the 3H2Humans Mastermind Symposium of Infinite Possibility Radio Show. Each episode, Lynn and Mustachio will explore continuums of meaning, varied perspectives and thought seeds to place in the garden of the mind. Who knows what will grow? So sit back, stand up, drive or jog, whatever the motion may be, we are here to support each individual's journey to define health, happiness and a humble perspective during the information era. Enjoy.
1: Greetings! Today is April 7th, 2016, a beautiful Friday. April 7th is the first Friday of the month, which means downtown Spokane and many other cities across the world have an art show, (laughs) an art fair. Mustachio, what is it? How could First Friday be described? Okay, something to the effect of a cultural walkabout. The First Fridays are designed to encourage people to hop around from different businesses as they feature local art. Every now and then there are maps of who's participating, which artists will be there. The information is out there. Check the City of Spokane website for more information. And here at the Liberty Building every now and then there's live music and beverages. It's a exciting event. I remember the first first Friday I went to was a couple years ago and it was in the summer. There were bands playing outside. One of the streets was closed down. It was a big deal. There were vendors in the street. I haven't seen one that big, but I do hope The first Fridays around Spokane begin to grow and thrive. Let's all be a part of that. (laughs) So come on down to Spokane for the first Friday. Today's show is Season 2, Episode 12, Brian is Pretending to Know. This episode is a bit different than our traditional episodes as we are going through a large transition at this time. Exposure from the grand opening increased the amount of feedback I received, the amount of masterminds that took place, the mastermind symposium of infinite possibility was engaged. And now I've ingested that information and reflected upon what it means And now I'm in the stage of modification. So we talk about how those three things equal critical thought. Ingest, reflect, and modify. For example, the format of the show. I ingested the feedback that the shows were a bit too long and there was too much information. It was just too much in many categories across the board. and i put my ego aside and my ideas of what's an ideal show and listened and engaged with people who were kind enough to offer me feedback the next stage is to reflect how does that feedback fit into my life which sources are trusted and coming from the pink zone which sources are speaking from the ego and coming from the yellow zone for this. It's important to consider both the pink zone and the yellow zone thoughts, the pink zone. (laughs) The pink zone thoughts are much easier to digest and sift through. It's kind of like folded clean laundry versus a pile of dirty clothes. The pink zone is the folded, clean laundry. The tough part's done. (laughs) The subconscious thinking and the conscious thinking are one, and that's taken care of. With yellow zone thoughts, the information is a bit messy. The ego is involved. There are stereotypes, false information. There's a need to kind of clean and fold and care for the information before it's truly usable. And the important takeaway with this is it's still a pile of clothes. It's still something that has use. It's not a pile of garbage, it's something. So in the reflect stage, this is where I put away the folded laundry, the pink zone stuff. I digest it and okay, cool, let it sit. And then the yellow zone, I sift apart, I clean the laundry. I fold it. I become intimate with those thoughts and I reflect what does it mean? What is at the center of the information and what am I able to take away and learn from? At this point, I'm in the modify stage. I have ingested and reflected feedback about the show and have come to the conclusion (laughs) my initial hypothesis was incorrect. And my hypothesis was doing one big, long show once a month is easier on me and easier on the listeners. That's what I thought. And I did it. And it does not appear to be an ideal format of the show right now. And this is a peek into my thinking process. When I come across life and business challenges, I like to use critical thought mixed in with evolution. And I need to constantly evolve and grow and be aware that I am a scientist. These are experiments with a hypothesis. Rather than results being good or bad or right or wrong, it's simply a confirmed or unconfirmed hypothesis. And then that answer leads to more questions. <laughs> uh, and I, yeah, Mustachio points out another part of this process, the critical thinking process, is after ingest, reflect, and modify, it's time to just be, to let the information sit for a while. Dr. Amit Goswami talks about the do-be-do-be-do process, do and then be, and do and then be. So I have done and now I will be. (laughs) Hence the new show format. (laughs) Okay, and uh, yeah, so part of the new format is to change up the five lists and the 10 lists. And we'll go into that a bit more in the announcements. As a result of the new format, this show does not have a five list or a 10 list. There are eight questions, so maybe it could be considered an eight list. (laughs) Okay, the listener challenge for today. Number 24, eat a superfood each day this week. Research and explore potential health benefits of garlic, avocado, pomegranates, and other superfoods on the mind. Eat selected foods as is, or perhaps mix them up in a smoothie. Plan ahead, prepare foods for easy transport to work or play, and have plenty on hand for this week's Listener Challenge. So the Listener Challenge is about eating a superfood. In the upcoming recording, which I will explain next, <laughs> we talk about garlic as a superfood. That's one of the questions which popped up, does eating garlic make you healthy? So we explore this and on a deeper level, what are other superfoods? Each human body is slightly different and will process food in different ways. I have loved ones who don't eat garlic because it's tough on their digestive system so that would not be an ideal superfood (laughs) there are an abundance of them in this week's listener challenge explore take time allow one week to really focus on research of superfoods how to care for them for example kale When I first started eating it, I didn't know I was supposed to cut the leaves off the (laughs) stalks. It tastes much better without the (laughs) stalk. And there are little tricks of the trade for superfoods. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why they are super is because it requires a little bit of knowledge and understanding of the food in order to optimize its benefits. So that's what this is really about, optimizing the benefits of foods. The listener challenge number 24. Eat a superfood each day this week. Okay, the upcoming recording is from September 11th, 2014, back at the Bridge House over in West Central. At the time, the Kendall Yards buildings were being built and now it's a pretty established neighborhood. In the recording, Brian Mustachio and I play a game. It's a simple game, a little bit similar to cognitive discovery in that the purpose of the game is to evoke critical thought and present moment conversations about subjects beyond news drama, media crap, other people's nonsense. It's all that stuff is just put aside for a little while. And this is about really tapping in to what is known and what is not known. (laughs) And we use a book. The book is Everything You Pretend to Know and Are Afraid Someone Will Ask. The author is Lynette Padwa. And the book is from 1996. I do believe I've been toting it around with me since then. I imagine it was likely purchased at the Barnes and Noble at the corner of Stevens Creek and Santa Mos Expressway in San Jose, California. And of all the books which have come and gone since 1996 back in California, this is one of the ones that has stuck with me. I feel it's a quality book. I checked online, they are still available. There are some used versions that are a couple dollars. I recommend this as an investment, a couple dollars. Purchase everything you pretend to know and are afraid someone will ask. It's an easy read, a flip book. I like how I'm able to just open it up and go to any section and there's information. It's not necessarily a cover to cover read. Those kind of books tend to be my favorite. So for the game, players take turns flipping through the book, asking a question, putting in a marker and then closing the book. It's just a quick glance at what the question is. Then the book is put aside. The person hearing the question, the listener is the first one to answer. The listener answers the question and then the reader answers the question and then the reader reads what the book says and then it's switched. Then the next time the listener is the reader and the reader is the listener. (laughs) It's a fun game. I encourage folks to give it a go. Uh, Grab the book and sit down with a friend. Flip through and discuss random questions put a little sprinkle of infinite possibility into the mix the questions that we randomly drew were number one what is the difference between a czar magnet and mogul number two how does an antiperspirant work number three can anyone form a cartel number four what does the mock and Mach 2 mean? Number five, what happened to the four basic food groups? Number six, what is the information superhighway? Number seven, what is a nervous breakdown? And number eight, does eating garlic make you healthy? One of my favorite questions <laughs> was number six, what is the information superhighway? This book has a perspective from 1996. This was before streaming and wireless and many other concepts were either little sprouts of information or seeds, simply ideas, which eventually came into fruition. It's pretty cool to think about how much technology has changed and grown since 1996. And this question, number six, brings up a great point. My brother and I were discussing the other day about how once information is in a book, it's essentially obsolete. We are experiencing a tech renaissance and a renaissance of many things as information changes so fast, (laughs) so fast, to the point that once it's published, it's pretty much obsolete. And this was a concept which boggled my mind when it's applied to the university system. During the 2010s, I was being university educated on experiments from the 70s. (laughs) And information from over 20 years ago. That was kind of like the 1996. And we as educators, we as the educated, both sides, really need to think about the changing nature of information and, and importance of recognizing its changing nature. It's like a puppy, how a puppy is just a little fuzzball and then in a year later, it's a full-grown dog. That change is easy to recognize because it's easy to see. Changes in information are not as easily perceived. This type of perception requires a little bit of present moment awareness, logic, critical thought, and a pink zone approach to information. What is relevant now? What are the paradigms of today? And how do these paradigms of today fit with whatever this literature is? And that's what we explored in question number six. What did the book say about the information superhighway, and what has it become today? Another fun question was, what does the "mock" in Mach 2 mean? Little simple things like this. I've probably used that phrase, talking about "mock" in terms of speed and not really known what I was saying. <laughs> but luckily this book and Lynette Padwa has broken it all down conducted research, and organized the information in a pink zone, tangible, concise, and digestible way. Okay, that is book talk featuring author Lynette Padwaz, Everything You Pretend to Know and Are Afraid Someone Will Ask. That is coming up next and was recorded back in 2014. All right, Mustachio says... We, uh, we got to push through these announcements. This new format is <laughs> intended to be shorter. <laughs> so he's got the, the little light on to encourage me to hurry up. <laughs> the announcements. Five list listener contest. Record a five list from one of the categories on the website. Send an audio file through Dropbox five will be selected to produce and air on an upcoming show. So the five list listener contest, it's time to engage with the audience and really expand the concept of 3H2 humans as a mastermind. That's a goal here to gather multiple perspectives and Mustachio and I had a chat and we thought this contest would be a fun and exciting way to hear other perspectives. So currently we do have a handful of folks interested. For more information, send an email to Leonardo at 3h2humans.org. And the new show format is constantly changing. There will be less lists and potentially each list will have its own show. (laughs) This will result in the shows being substantially shorter and perhaps more concise and digestible. I say this phrase frequently and I do like to practice what I preach and I can admit the big shows are not quite as concise and digestible as I would like and I'm open to change. I'm open to experimentation. There will be a Q and A episode soon. Send in questions, questions, comments, all thoughts are welcome. And if there are any ideas on this new format versus the old one, any questions about consciousness, what it is that we do with 3H2Humans, it's open, <laughs> open forum of discussion. So send in those questions. We do enjoy listener feedback and gratitude for those who support the show. 2016 was the first year we began to accept donations and we had received a pretty good chunk over the course of the year. Granted it wasn't necessarily a bunch at one time but they were small amounts that when looked at from a grander picture from a yearly perspective rather than a daily or monthly perspective, I'm quite pleased. <laughs> I uh, plan for 2017 to continue on this path of prosperity. <laughs> All right, coming up, Brian is pretending to know, Mustachio and I would like to wish everyone health, happiness, and a humble perspective. Diligence today equals a thriving community tomorrow. Enjoy. Good afternoon. Today is September 11th, 2014. Here in lovely Spokane, Washington. And today we have a special guest. Brian is here on our three-year anniversary.
0: Are you getting sick of me yet, everybody? <laughs> I'm not getting sick of Lynn. Aww. Three years, it seems like three minutes. Does it? Yeah.
1: Even with some of the complications I bring? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: It does, in the grand scheme of things. But I tell you what, when those complications are brought... Those minutes drag on for years. <laughs> yeah. And the second that's done, it goes by like a fucking supercar. Mm-hmm. And we're here. My my little big doe-eyed girl sitting across from me, looking all smart.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, good. And today we have decided to bring back an oldie but a goodie, the uh, Stuff You Pretend to Know book.
0: And are afraid someone will ask. So go for it.
1: Pick a page, pick a topic. Let's see what we will discuss.
0: What's the difference between a czar, a magnet, and a mogul?
1: Oh, a czar, like C-Z-A-R.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So a czar, a magnet, and It's a not
0: czar? Ma- I think it's czar. Okay. The C is silent, so it's just czar. I thought the Z was silent. So it's just ca- like car? Tsar, like an S sound.
1: Oh, it could be, and I could be Miss for, for some reason, I I thought it no, was no. I think all. you're right.
0: I have no idea.
1: Okay, so Czar, Magnet, and Mogul.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, a Czar is a type of ruler who is not elected, but somehow burst into his position or prophesies into his a Czar, um, and then a Magnet helps my shopping list stay <laughs> on the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> That it does. <laughs> and a mogul? Ooh. A mogul is, for some reason, I think of finances. I think of, like, the monopoly man as, like, a mogul. Uh, someone with a bunch of power, but not necessarily a official position. Like, the czar would be an official leader. A mogul would be more of a, a leader of the people in, due to finances or business or something. There's mine. What, what do you think?
0: I think a Tsar is a position held by family mm-hmm. like you just inherit it a magnet is elected and the mogul rises by his own power like a business mogul someone that crawled up the to that position but i don't know
1: no i think those are those are fantastic speculations what does the all-knowing book report
0: all three signify power but tsars magnets and moguls get their power in different ways and lord it over different realms Tsars tend to exist in the political world, moguls in the media and entertainment, and magnets in business. Hmm. Who would to guess that?
1: So wait, Tsar is political?
0: Yeah. Let's begin with Tsar. Usually a Tsar is a person who has been appointed, not elected, to a particular office. I wasn't even close. I thought it was like a lord of Russia. Anyway, when President George Bush appointed William Bennett to head up the war on drugs, Bennett was touted as the drug Tsar, a title the Bush Camp Properly felt would lend him an aura of absolute power. A look at news coverage over the past twenty years yields an abundance of absolute rulers. Sorry. <laughs> Energy SARS, baseball SARS, AIDS SARS. AIDS SARS.
1: <laughs> that sounds like AIDS and then SARS that it, it like is. That's what it
0: says. AIDS, SARS. Oh, Sar- SARS. SARS.
1: Yeah, but I was thinking SARS as that the other disease. SARS. It was a huge... Oh, S- yeah, S-A-R-S. Yep, I remember that. So you said AIDS and SARS. So I was thinking, oh. that sounds like a bad day. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and even strip mining SARS. <laughs> SARS in Russia did wield total power over their subjects. The title was first used by Byzantine.
1: Well, how much emperors, reading is there? You and want to in
0: just... the 16th century, Ivan IV <laughs> adapted it for its own use. Okay, the SARS. We're just going to skip the next paragraph.
1: Okay. Yeah, you, you can just paraphrase. we can,
0: Magnets yeah. don't wait to be appointed. They carve out their own realms of power. The term mm. derives from the Latin magnets. And it's roughly translated to great person, or nobleman, determining the fate of thousands. Bill Gates, founder of... Microsoft is a magnet. He commands an astonishing amount of power over the way we conduct business because his company manufactures the operating systems. Okay, that's good. Moguls. They inhabit the world of media. Mike Ovitz, head of creative artists and agency and cable TV wiz Ted Turner are media moguls. In essence, moguls are pretty interchangeably with magnets, and some media power brokers are referred to as moguls or magnets or both. Moguls a variation of the word Mongol. Moguls mm-hmm. were Indian and Turkish emperors who held complete power over their subjects. In 1957, the Times Literary Supplement first used the word in connection with the film industry. It became the way to suggest the utter control Hollywood's big chiefs had over their fiefdoms. All right, I'm just going to skip the rest. Very
1: nice. Hi, okay. We,
0: we're both off.
1: So, in summary, what is a czar, magnet, and mogul?
0: czar is a person... That is elected to power that oversees it and it's a power position, like drugs are. Magnet is someone who carves their own path, usually has to do with power and money, like Bill Gates. And mogul is the super powerful one in the entertainment or media. Ooh,
1: okay, well, I feel slightly less, more, dumber.
0: Yeah, I'm never gonna use any of those again.
1: Do you use those words?
0: No, ever. And (laughs) I'll never again.
1: either. They, they don't really pop up in our conversations. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it is nice to know now uh, to have a better understanding.
0: Yeah, I thought Zara was like a noble person from Russia. Hmm. Like, like a king sort of deal, but different names. <laughs> Way off. Ooh, here's a
1: good one. How does anti-purse print work?
0: Um, I think it's like a baking soda. And when you sweat, it just absorbs all the sweat. And when it absorbs, it releases good-smelling things because something's got to go somewhere. So the sweat goes in, num-nums, Fuji smells go out.
1: Okay. Um, I believe you are describing a deodorant. There is a difference between a deodorant and an antiperspirant. They are technically two different products.
0: Oh, well, antiperspirant's not sweaty. Correct. So it's um, something... It's going to have to absorb, so it's like a sponge-like substance. I <laughs> know. Oh. A sponge-like substance, though? It's no. got to be, because it's going to absorb the sweat. Or maybe, oh, maybe it, uh, it's a very, very fine thing, and when you rub it into your armpit, it, or wherever you put deodorant, it <laughs> plugs up the pores mm. that would normally sweat. I'm going to go with that. It's going to plug it up, not absorb it.
1: Yes, I am going to agree with you on that. On your second, uh, I I didn't think it was necessarily the sponge absorber (laughs) machine, like a SpongeBob SquarePants under the old (laughs) armpits. But I like the progression of thought into something that seals up the pores. That's what I think. A antiperspirant is, um, I think there's one kind, it's like called chromium picanolate, which is a uh, type of, antiperspirant.
0: The fuck did you know that? (laughs) Prolium polyctase? Well, because... Because that's normal. Well, I think
1: of... Yeah, you sweat a lot. I sweat a lot. I sweat profusely. I have tried every deodorant.
0: Okay. Okay, I'll take that all back.
1: (laughs) I have studied deodorant. Yeah, Yeah, so I I think that is the main... uh, (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> i'm remembering that story you told me of when you were a child which one you'd wear your sweatshirts and your flannels even if it was 100 degrees out because you sweat so bad poor it was, child
1: it was tough a huge old pit stains now i display them proudly um so with the antiperspirant i do think it's a deflection thing in speaking to doctors i said okay how can i stop from sweating and the majority of the response was that it's healthy. It's a way to
0: remove toxins from the body. Why do you have so many toxins?
1: I, I don't know,
0: but <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's a good question. I'm constantly sweating out toxins. One of their suggestions was to get Botox injections in the armpits. That is what's done because uh, Botox is essentially a poison which constricts the blood vessels or whatnot, so that's what, I don't know, perhaps famous people or people who really don't want to sweat get Botox ingest injections under the arm to stop sweating. So I wonder if antiperspirant is something like that on a smaller degree with that one chromium um metal thing. So let's see. Went, uh, but we both agree that it's some sort of deflection device. Okay. A plugger. A plugger. Oh, the life of an antiperspirant researcher. His mission? To discover the cause of armpit odor and create the weapons to combat it. It is not a pleasant task, but think what it does for humanity. The search began with a basic question. Why do armpits smell bad? The logical place to start was armpit. To start looking was armpit. Sweat. The pits have two types of sweat glands. Apocrine and eccrine. Er- E-C-C-R-I-N-E. That's a weird one for me. The apocrine glands produce only small amounts of sweat, droplet by droplet. Mm, That's like me. Mm Mm-hmm. Ericin glands can produce copious amounts. Some people have... That's like you. That is like (laughs) me, yes. Some people have been reported to sweat as much as three gallons in a 24-hour period. To discover the origins of armpit odor, one group of saltwater researchers collected fresh apocrine sweat from unwashed armpits and proved that it was odorless. No word on how that proof was achieved. They then let the sweat sit six hours at room temperature. It developed B.O. The conclusion? The bacteria that lives in apocrine sweat causes armpit odor. Whether or not the sweat stays in the pit but it must have a warm, moist environment to grow. Okay, Um, so it's bacteria causing the smell. Um, Oh, here we go. It talks about the... So I say chromium picanolate. That's in uh, health food supplements. This one, it is aluminum. So it is a different type of metal, but it's... um,
0: can you explain the context of aluminum?
1: Yeah, so here I'm. I'm going to, but that's what I meant when I said the chromium. It was. It's a different type of metal, but I think it's the concept of having metal in the armpit is quite strange. So, yeah. the most effective way to eliminate armpit odor then is to eliminate the wetness that helps the bacteria grow. What stops wetness? Aluminum compounds. No one is exactly sure why they stop it. Some theories hold that the aluminum blocks the sweat gland. Or that it retards, oh that's like you, <laughs> <Dick>. <laughs> further sweat production, or that it causes the sweat gland to sprout leaks and secrete some of the sweat back into the body. At any rate, aluminum does not prevent the apocrine glands from producing bacteria-filled sweat. It only works on the eccrine glands. Uh, After years of such research, lotions have proven to be the most effective type of antiperspirant. Aerosol sprays are the least effective, but researchers warn that effectiveness of any antiperspirant depends on regular daily use.
0: So use lotion?
1: So, okay. And they are still talking about the odor. So the question is, how does an antiperspirant work? And so they talk about the aluminum... And I think that's that is what it is. The aluminum blocks the sweat glands.
0: But only one of them. Not the ones that you sweat just a little, the one you sweat a shit ton.
1: Yes. And they're talking about like sniff testers and um
0: I know the whole smell. body of it was about smell. But yeah. It has nothing to do with the antiperspirant. Hmm.
1: But I think uh, everyone look at deodorants. It'll say aluminum on there. There's very, very few because for a while I wanted to buy a deodorant without aluminum in it because that's kind of crazy. Now I just most of the time don't wear deodorant. And you know what's weird since I stopped wearing deodorant? I do stink a little but I sweat less. The antiperspirants make me sweat more.
0: Hmm. Wear deodorant.
1: I did today because we're going out tonight. So I made it a point to bathe and put on deodorant. Good. And I painted my toenails. Progress, and cl- people. Uh-huh. And clipped my fingernails and Ooh. did my hair and makeup. Done up all fancy-like, like the Queen of England.
0: You are the Queen of England. Do go on, good sir. What shall ye have? Can anyone form a cartel? Yes. I'm also gonna say yes. Not but- in the United States. Supposedly. A cartel is basically a monopoly, and monopolies are technically illegal in the mm. United States. Cartels are formed by groups of businesses or by nations.
1: I'm glad that this was brought up. I didn't know what a cartel was.
0: I thought they are the like, Mexican gang lords that smuggled cocaine.
1: Yes, that's what I... <laughs> I agree. I thought um, kind of mob and cartel was synonymous. But I don't know. So then what's the difference between a mob and a cartel?
0: That's not in the book.
1: But it says a cartel is...
0: Cartels are formed by groups of businesses or by nations. The goal being to control prices and production within a particular market. Mm. The most famous cartel is OPEC, Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. The 13 OPEC nations fix prices of the crude oil they export and agree upon the quantities each country will produce. Other cartels abound. Coffee cartels, airline cartels, the Philippines even had a coconut oil cartel. But although antitrust laws forbid U.S. companies from fixing prices and setting production quotas, cartels sometimes prove difficult to resist.
1: Oh, Okay, wait, so now I think I understand it. So cartels, it's essentially the competition working with each other to fuck the general
0: public. Or someone. doesn't have to be general public, well, but yes. It's, someone, it's someone that con- or controls X. their own market.
1: Yeah, but they work with the competition. That's, uh, they're in an agreement with other businesses?
0: Yeah, or it could just be a singular business. It's, just, uh, it's basically another word for a monopoly. But I think well, it blankets multiple businesses.
1: But I guess, okay, so in my mind it would be as though a mob you know, is one business, one organization, but then a cartel is similar to a couple mobs working together. So I guess that's, is that a component of cartel, that it's multiple entities working together? Or as you're saying, can it just be singular?
0: I think it's singular. Okay. Because mobs compete with other mobs. Mm -hmm. Cartels compete with no one. That's what a cartel is. Okay. Let's say if Time Warner and Comcast merge, I would consider them a cartel because they'll have no competition. So it will be the only people.
1: What about Directv, yo?
0: I forget about Directv. <laughs> they don't offer internet. Yeah. It's mostly internet.
1: Yeah, that is true.
0: So, if they combine and become Comcast or Time Warner or whatever they take name they take, then they'd be a cartel with one business. But if they both join and gouge prices and charge people ridiculous fees, which they don't do, who I mean, who overpays for their cable and internet? I mean, who does that? No one here. In this world...
1: I think Mustachio then it would, does. He's... Then it would
0: be a cartel. Hmm. I'm going to bring that up in a letter and send it to the, Mr. Barack Obama himself. Say, Mr. Obama, I believe we have a cartel on American soil. They're called Comcast. God, you're one of those. And I'm not actually going to write a fucking letter.
1: Well, I do like that concept, but it's that... People blame the president. It's I'm not bringing, administration.
0: I'm not, I'm not blaming the president at all. Okay. But he can do something about it. He
1: can? He's so he's got supposed power. to do something about every little... That's the weird thing. The pre, he's not going to do People think shit. that <laughs> the president is supposed to handle their one particular issue. Whatever. Oh, the storm waters are messed up. Mr. President needs... Barack Obama needs health care. It's like he's one person. Like, think of more... In terms of entities and the government as a whole rather than just a singular person. Sorry, that's a little rant.
0: <laughs> I understand, and I'm not actually going to write Mr. Barack Obama a letter. President. President Obama a letter. And if I were, I would expect him just to laugh at it and throw it in the garbage because I know he wouldn't do anything. One, he's too busy of a person to worry about that kind of bullshit. Two, he's not the proper tra- channels to go through if I actually want to change. That was more of a joke.
1: Good. Yeah, sometimes I, don't. <laughs> sometimes I
0: don't get your jokes. I know.
1: Why is that?
0: Because you got to reach pretty deep to know where I'm going with them. Explain. Like, you got to be in my brain to realize why it's funny. And I have a dry sense of humor, so you don't know if I'm dead serious or you, you really think I'm stupid enough to think that Barack Obama would fix our problems. Because 90% of the nation is that stupid. Yeah, I
1: did think you were that stupid. No. Okay.
0: That was a joke, <laughs> that I would write the fucking president and expect him to do something.
1: But I would think that if you did want to take action, that would be your course of action.
0: No, I would write probably a state senator or something. Hmm. I would start local, because they care. Well, they wouldn't do anything either. Really, that's a, there's, that's
1: a defeatist attitude. Yes,
0: there's really nothing you can do about that besides bend over and lube up.
1: Okay, that was a joke. <laughs> yeah. You're not really going to bend over no, and lube up.
0: No, and hope that Comcast <laughs> fucks me in the ass. Yeah. No, I'm not going to do that.
1: Okay, see, that joke I get. Yeah, see?
0: Because
1: <laughs> I know you're not, well, okay, I hope you're not that dumb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. All right. So is that it on cartels? No, I want to read more of it. That was kind of interesting. Okay. Take the case of aluminum. In June 1990. aluminum again. Yeah. In June 1994, the Wall Street Journal described the birth of an international aluminum cartel in which the U.S. plays a key role. Of course, all the participants are shocked. Shocked that anyone would call it a cartel, reported the journal. Nevertheless, price and production rates were set by the group, whose members call the agreement a two-year memorandum of understanding. Why did the Justice Department allow U.S. companies to join the group? It seemed like that the former Soviet Union was beginning to dump huge amounts of aluminum onto the world market. In the old days, half of the aluminum resources went to Soviet military complex. With that kaput, Russian aluminum producers were frantic to get rid of their metal. As they exported more and more of it, prices dropped worldwide. Suddenly, it became expedient for everyone, including both Russian and U.S. aluminum productor- producers, to join together to set prices and regulate output. With the cadre. Cadre? What's C A D R E? C A what? D R E. I don't know. With a cadre of antitrust lawyers hovering over the procedures, the two-year pact was ironed out.
1: Oh, a large group, perhaps. Like a it, gaggle.
0: <laughs> a gaggle of geese. <laughs> if it works, experts say, Russia will probably pressure the United States to form similar non-cartels for steel, aerospace products, petrochemicals, and electronics. Crazy. You know, it's kind of funny. That was 20 years ago. So I'm pretty sure we could find out if that worked or not. Yeah, would I- See where they went with it.
1: This is, yeah, I believe this book was uh, published in 1996.
0: Do you think they have another one?
1: Yo, I imagine so. This is a great book. Yeah. Great book.
0: Some of them are pretty stupid, but then like 90% of them are pretty awesome. Like now I know what cartel means. Before I just think it was a cocaine smuggler. Hmm. But tis not the case.
1: What does the mock in mock two
0: mean? Mock two? Mm-hmm. Like, speed? I would assume so. That would be my... I don't know. <laughs> Mach. Is it a unit of atmosphere? No. Remember, a- you atmos- don't ask questions, you I just know. drop assumptions. Atmosphere is a measure of atmosphere. Okay. It's, so... a, it's a rate of either gravity or speed. Because, like, when a plane flies Mach 3, that's what I'm going with.
1: Hearing Mach 2 is weird for me. I always think of Mach 1. I didn't... I'm... Oh, yeah, but then the airplanes, yeah, they go Mach 3, right? They go Isn't like, that... Mach
0: 10. Really? Yeah, like, Mach 5 will pass you
1: Oh, damn, so these guys are in, like, pressurized cabins and special suits.
0: I don't think it has to do with that. It has to do with the gravitational pull on one. Oh. It's like when they hit a corner and they're like... The That's G's, Mach 5. right? Yeah, 4 G's. 4 oh, G's gee, at Mach 10. Yeah, I don't know. It's a measure of sound? I don't know. But okay. I'm, I'm excited to find out. <laughs> yeah. Go on and read it.
1: And what's funny for me, when I hear mock, what I think of?
0: Ing. Bird. Ing. (laughs) Jesus. Dumb and Dumber, me too. Mock. Yeah. Ing. Yeah. Bird. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) No, I do not think of Dumb and Dumber. I think of the Mach 1 Mustang as a uh, high performance automobile. And uh, perhaps to the stealth bomber. Does the stealth bomber go at mock speeds? Could that have been the first time I heard of mock in terms of airplanes? Stealth I, bomber? Maybe. Yeah. 90s? Around the time that this book came out, right? Isn't that when the stealth. That's what I would imagine would be doing all this mock craziness. No idea. Hmm.
0: Okay. So we're both. Going with the measure of sound.
1: Sound? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going with measure of speed. How could it be a measure of sound? Sound, that's
0: strange. Because like Mach 5 will break the sound barrier. So it's a measure of how fast the waves of the sound, the vibrations that go out and you can hear, is how fast it travels. Hmm. Is my guess. And it's completely wrong, but I'm going with it.
1: I like it. I like your gusto. Mock numbers are a way of measuring high speeds in terms of the speed of sound. Boom! Oh! <laughs> I got to high five you on that one, rock star. Look at that. I was thinking you were a bit of a, a pizza roll on that, but no. Every now and then you amaze me. I like that.
0: That's deductive reasoning right there. Wow. That's sweet.
1: I see that. Hmm, even Mustachio is impressed. Do you see him? He's giving you the glance of approval
0: because he's touching himself (laughs) on his mustache.
1: (laughs) Mach numbers are a way of measuring high speeds in terms of the speed of sound. Since they measure only very high speeds, they're used only for charting the speed of aircraft. A plane traveling at the speed of sound is traveling at Mach 1. One and a half times the speed of sound is Mach 1.5. Twice the speed of sound is Mach 2 and so forth. The system is named after Austrian physicist and psychologist Ernst Mach. Mach lived from 1838 to 1916 and developed the system long before airplanes flew fast enough to need it. Whew! I'm blown away. Head blown in two ways. One, there are intelligent thoughts jumping around inside (laughs) your head.
0: (laughs) Hot dogs are good. Is that better?
1: two, this Ernst Mach developed the system of...
0: Before it was possible.
1: Yes. What an innovative genius. And he is into physics and psychology. And that's kind of... uh, Psychology is based off of physics and philosophy. So I imagine this Ernst Mach folk is quite the interesting chap.
0: Quite the interesting (laughs) chap. You should write that down so you don't forget. Ernst Mach? So you can look up. Locked in. Okay. Locked in. I, I see him,
1: like, with a mustachio... Mu- <laughs> what is he doing? <laughs> I see him with a, like, mustache in a... In a... In a...
0: <laughs> one car. So it's kind of funny. Just a quick stupid story. We live in Spokane. And I grew up here. But we're close to Fairchild Air Force Base. Which is a big Air Force Base. It's like a refueling station. But they have jets here and stuff. And in an elementary school... We were all in class one day and a jet, well, a fighter jet flew overhead and the pilot broke uh, the speed of sound. And it's a big no-no, you're not supposed to do it. But all of the windows and books shook in our classroom and I remember books falling off and no one knew what it was because it was just a loud giant boom. And then they came on and said it was in one of the fighter jets and that he'll get in trouble. But I don't think he got in trouble. They probably high-fived They're a bit like... Fighter jets get real off by, like, shaking elementary schools and stuff.
1: <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. That's a unique experience to go through.
0: So if you ever hear a big boom, it might be a fighter jet.
1: I will pay attention to the skies.
0: Yeah, it's crazy because it's shut. The... Anyway. What happened to the four basic food groups?
1: Oh, gosh. The four basic food groups are crap. <laughs> I think... Well, okay, so I'm not going to... You're not supposed to look during... You've got to give yours, one. too. There you go. Don't you know my specific rules and the specific way that I like to play this game? Nope. <sighs> okay, so the four basic food groups. So that is meat, dairy, vegetables, and fruits, and then grains, I think. Which is a strange way to divide them up. I personally... Oh, but then it's saying what happened to it. Well, I think it was a big presidential thing. One of the first ladies, I think, launched the food pyramid. And then that's what overtook the uh, four food groups. But I would consider good food groups as fruits and vegetables, proteins, and fiber, and carbohydrates.
0: I think um, right when people were having choices with food, such as grocery stores... um, Rather than what you could just grow and eat, and it didn't matter what people ate. So they wanted to know, so they rushed out some four basic food groups, which are whatever they were. Then scientists and shit got looking at it, and researchers, and then they changed them, and, oh, this is this food group, and this is this food group, and then they just keep fucking with them. Based on research. Because research always changes. Mm -hmm. Research always changes.
1: It does, and for some reason... I think the this was influenced by the dairy industry. For some reason, I think we may have done this one.
0: The dairy industry? Yeah, for
1: some reason, I think the dairy milk people were behind this. and
0: Oh, I think you're right. Doesn't
1: that sound familiar? Yeah. The milk people, you're like, yeah, milk. And I'm like, no, milk.
0: Fuck yeah, milk. <laughs> I love milk. Developed in the 1950s and once a bedrock of the American way of life, the four food groups today arose suspicion. The meat and dairy lobbies influenced the Eisenhower-era Department of Agriculture folks who first conjured up four groups. Or was it just more fin de paranoia? I don't even know what Finde Fin de saca? S-I-E with a squiggly. C-L-E. Hmm. Anyway. This
1: is 1996 language. Yeah. <laughs>
0: It's funny, the next word is either way. And I just said either way. Either way. (laughs) Milk and dairy products now are being linked to food allergies, increased risk of ovarian cancer, and a host of other health concerns. Meat and poultry are the stars of countless news exposés that leave us mentally retching. Fruits, vegetables, and grains are undeniably healthy unless they've been treated with some vile chemical pesticide. (laughs) That's another issue. What do the four groups provide? It breaks down like this: milk and dairy products, proteins, carbohydrates, fats, vitamins, and minerals. What? Meat, fish, and poultry: protein, vitamins, and minerals. Fruits and vegetables: fiber, vitamins, minerals, and carbohydrates. Grains. Comp. you were right on this one, though. Except so you didn't have milk, did you? In, products. In dairy. what? And your four groups that you guessed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, oh. it's,
1: dairy is milk.
0: Yeah, I gotcha. Okay. But you, I don't remember you even bringing that, but you did. Yeah. You got that one. There's lots of overlap, which is why vegetarians get by on only three of the four groups, and vegans get by on just two of the four of them. Cutting meat from your diet requires some planning, however. The protein provided by meat must be replaced by a specific combination of vegetables and grains. It is an accepted medical fact that we should decrease our intake of protein and fats and increase fiber and complex carbohydrates. Hmm. Well, it's an accepted medical fact today. Or in 1996.
1: Well, and two, I don't agree with accepted medical facts in terms of nutrition such as that. Because every human body is varied and it will react differently to different types of foods. Like, my body loves carbohydrates. You know, I eat bread and butter all the time and I need them. But then some people have the gluten allergy and don't, so...
0: Yeah, and I love milk. I love milk. And meat. I don't like
1: either of those.
0: But milk. Oh my (laughs) gosh. So I broke my hand a couple times now, but one recently, and I went into the doctor. And uh, my hand's still pretty buggered in terms of the bone itself. But my amazing body decided to grow new bones and bridge the break. So it went underneath. This is like a broken V shape. And my bone grew a new one to bridge it. So it grew straight across, so now it looks like an A. And it's just amazing the body knows how to do that That and when to stop, as the doctor pointed out, because I was like, that's amazing that the bone or the body knows to grow a new bone underneath it to bridge this break. And he goes, you know, what's even more amazing is why does it know to stop? And it fucked with my mind. Yeah,
1: (laughs) that's awesome. So how did you feel after receiving that news that your body had healed itself?
0: That I need to drink more milk. (laughs) Milk is the greatest thing ever. And that because I drank so much as a child, my body was able to do that. And it's probably not the case, but that's how I'm going to take it. And (laughs) the human body is such a crazy thing. It's so awesome.
1: It is. It's very resilient and... Adaptive. Yeah.
0: All subconsciously, on a biological level. These aren't thoughts. I'm not like, well, I'm going to think about growing a new bone for a while. It's like DNA inside of us is just programmed to do shit like this.
1: Crazy. Crazy awesome. Yes.
0: So, any anyway, we should uh, eat less meat and more fruits and vegetables and grains because of this. Department of Agriculture has placed the four food groups with the food guide pyramid, which is now out of date again. There is no more food guide pyramid; it's something else now. Anyway, how much per serving, and then it shows what servings.
1: I thought there was more about the milk, and it, it mentioned it briefly, and then Eisenhower. But I thought
0: uh... it says nothing about. What happened to the four basic food groups? It skirts the question. <laughs> it just explains right. It just yeah. explains what the four basic ones were, and then it now shows now we're into a pyramid. didn't say what happened to it.
1: I think that's that is kind of funny about this book. It, uh, it I mean, that's great thing.
0: information, and I'm glad I read it, but are you kidding me? It didn't answer the question.
1: Mm-mm. All right, so you want to do one more? Come more. Okay, cool. i fun. Oh, me too. Okay, here we go. Are you ready for this? What is the information super highway?
0: The internet? <laughs> <laughs> this was written in 1996. I'm going to go with the internet. <laughs> Final answer, no explanation. I'm just.
1: No. Okay, so remember, this was 1996, and there's this new thing called the. Information superhighway. What is the information superhighway?
0: The internet. It's all the information at your fingertips. At the touch of a button.
1: Okay, I'm an alien. Explain it to me. What is the information You go to a
0: little box that has little keys, and you type in a language, anything you fucking want, into this thing called the Google. Hmm. <laughs> you push enter button, and then it gives you a billion results on whatever you typed in. And so, anything you're wondering, such as, what was Hugh Jackman just wearing on the red carpet? You can type that in, and someone will have 15 things on what the fuck he was wearing. Already, even though it happened seven seconds ago, people are that quick. So all information is at the touch of your fingers. It is a superhighway, because it's information that travels from Joe Schmo's couch, and as soon as he puts it wherever he puts it, he can reach any corner of the globe. To, to an extent, I, I mean, well, even then, satellites can get it to fucking Antarctica. You can't really hide unless you're in a cave or something. But that's a superhighway. It's information going everywhere. So called the internet.
1: I like it. I like it. I would uh, agree with you that when the book speaks of the information who's superhighway,
0: <laughs> it's going to be like a library. It's yeah. a streamlined process to check out books. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <Get a> <laughs> fuck. <laughs> I do agree that it is uh, referring to the internet and I think it it, it will speak about the uh, military beginnings that it was started off as a military superhighway and a military network of information and then it became
0: public <laughs> it started out in the military yeah I don't know that
1: yeah a, but quite some time ago and then the public started using it in small amounts like Prodigy Internet and, um, you know, Internet Explorer was one of the first ones. AOL. Holla to AOL. (laughs) But I think we'll speak about that. Military beginnings became more um, mainstream. Also, it started off as encyclopedias. That was another huge beginning of the Internet was that it was used, just as you were saying, a digital library. So that was kind of one of the main staples, and just any type of information at the fingertips. What is the information superhighway? I just love saying that. I haven't heard that phrase in a while. (laughs) A lot of the uproar about the information superhighway revolves around how much it will change our lives, and how quickly. What now passes for the information superhighway is a slogan in search of a mission, declared Newsweek columnist Robert J. Samuelson in 1993. Technically, the information superhighway refers to the worldwide network of fiber optic cables that have the ability to transmit information directly into and out of our homes and businesses. On a conceptual level, the highway, for the sake of brevity, is an all-encompassing term for the interactive communication systems that are being developed for easy individual consumption. There is one part of it I didn't even think to consider. I was thinking more on the user side. But what is the superhighway composed of? Neither one of us mentioned the cables and, like, the old-school DSL or the, the dial-up. Oh, you did?
0: Yeah, I mentioned satellites. We've gone wireless. Yeah. I mean, fiber optic's still the backbone, but we've gone wireless. And this is going to be funny because I'm saying this now, saying it's this great thing about how we can send signals through the air and someone can decode them and... Let's say if someone listens to this 10 years ago and they'll be like, What a dummy. We're so much past wireless.
1: Well, okay, so technically we are not yet wireless in the home. Where it is, there's a wireless router, but it's still hardwired mm-hmm. through cable. So but we do still need the cables and the fiber optics, right?
0: For this application, we can get a satellite internet.
1: I thought they were slow and like barely usable, and that technology is not quite there yet.
0: It's not it's not quite there. It's the fact that you're sending a signal into space and trying to hit something, and then it's decoding it and sending it down bound with...
1: Well, I, I think... It, it is th-
0: slow, and it's very expensive because you have to pay for satellites.
1: Yeah, and, and I think in uh, 10 years, that's how it will be. I do imagine us going cableless. I just... That's, I think, where we're headed, but... I think yeah. it'll
0: be more like a cell phone tower. So a tower? Like, emits rays hmm. and receives them. Like, each neighborhood has a big tower and that. I guess, no, it's not going to be like that. Not for a while. Hmm.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. But 1993, there were predictions. There are two key aspects about the highway that set it apart from media, such as books, radio, television, or film. First, it is interactive. You are not a passive observer, but a participant. Ooh, we're participants in the superhighway. Second, information delivered via the highway is instantaneous, available when the viewer wants it, not just when the distributor wants to screen it. Say you wanted to watch the Manchurian Candidate on a cable station connected to the highway. You might flip through the station's menu or your monitor, choose the movie, key in your credit card number, and wait only a few moments before the screen lit up with Lawrence Harvey's anxious face. Does this mean your TV will be attached to your computer? Maybe.
0: That's awesome. This is so cool. That shit happened, man.
1: Yeah. Aww. <laughs> or maybe both your TV and your computer will have separate means of tapping into the highway.
0: That fucking shit happened too, man.
1: <laughs> Look, this person is like a Nostradamus. Very insightful. <laughs> Eventually, there will probably be PC TVs that incorporate the features of both television and computer.
0: Wow. We've got one right in front of us.
1: Yeah, so it goes on. (laughs) It it talks about customized interactive television. A key aspect of interactive TV will be that you choose what you want to watch and when you want to watch
0: it. Thank you, Netflix. Yeah.
1: No more (laughs)
0: slavery to the local TV listings. Au contraire. Let's go watch a football game. Wait, you can't.
1: (laughs) 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 Oh, and it goes on, so the net, as it's called, began in 1969 as a U.S. government experiment. The goal was to enable academic and military research around the country and the world to communicate with one another.
0: In 69?
1: Yeah, I remember it was a long ass time ago. Was there
0: computers back then?
1: Yeah, they were the size of rooms and top secret. I imagine Those maybe like a
0: fax machine,
1: maybe something like that. But I do feel as though the government and and now, luckily, private enterprise, like you know Tesla and other innovators, are creating technology that is exponentially more crazy than the stuff the average consumer is aware of. It yeah. just blows my mind.
0: Yeah. No so one... yeah.
1: The beginnings of the internet in 1969 with the military. Oh, uh, computer games can be as addictive as chocolate cake.
0: <laughs> Shit, I think computer games are a lot more addictive than chocolate cake.
1: Cool, okay. I'm going to go ahead and say that. Yeah, especially you and LOL. You're very lolly.
0: Yeah, and I don't need a whole lot of chocolate cake. In fact, I don't even know the last time I ate some chocolate cake.
1: No, your birthday cake was yellow cake.
0: Mm-hmm. My birthday cake. Mm Mm-hmm. That was made three weeks after my birthday.
1: And still not deserved.
0: (laughs) Bullshit. I deserved it.
1: Around this house, people earn their birthdays. (laughs) Yeah. Why are you looking at the bibliography? Because this
0: is the page I opened to. I'm going to quiz you on it.
1: Uh,
0: Okay. (laughs) What did Cyril Glassy write?
1: A moment in time.
0: Concise Encyclopedia of Islam. Mm.
1: <laughs> nope, little, little different.
0: Here's one for you. What is a nervous breakdown?
1: Uh, the experience I have every time you're around me.
0: I don't think that's going to be in there.
1: <laughs> okay, what do you think is a nervous breakdown?
0: A feeling so crippling it drastically affects normal behavior. Continue. That's it. No, you got to... Nope, that's
1: it. It's going to have like nine pages of shit on it. No, it's one paragraph.
0: Oh. (laughs) So you already read it? No, I haven't read it.
1: (laughs) Okay, so what is a nervous breakdown?
0: Um, A feeling or action or something, a feeling that cripples Mm -hmm. normal action.
1: I really like that component. And I hadn't considered that as a part of a nervous breakdown. So I think you are right. I think that is probably how the DSM or whatever bullshit way they... Quantify a nervous breakdown, does uh, well. I think nervous breakdowns are fantastic. I think they are wonderful. I have had, you know, a few nervous breakdowns. Then why aren't you thanking me? <laughs> I do thank you, <laughs> but I, I I do think a nervous breakdown does have that kind of uh, rock bottom mentality, debilitating cognitive effect due to um not being able to handle one's anxiety where it just gets too much. Bring it.
0: This is a layperson's term that doesn't have a true diagnostic definition. It usually refers to a sudden neurotic or psychotic disturbance that incapacitates a person, often landing the victim in a hospital. Sometimes nervous breakdown is simply defined as the inability to function due to a mental disorder. Other sources are careful to point out that nervous breakdown can mean any kind of mental disruption short of psychosis. Wow. At least they admitted that this isn't a real term. Yeah. (laughs) just (laughs) some fucking people made up to describe anything that...
1: Yeah, it does have that layperson's kind of jingle to it. Jingle jangle. Does eating garlic make you healthy? Yes.
0: Why? Because something in the garlic strengthens the immune system, I believe. And I don't know, I don't know the chemical composition, mineral, uh, atomic <laughs> composition of garlic. I'm taking a stab in the dark, saying something in garlic that ends in probably aurarium. Something <laughs> aurarium.
1: Ararium. Oh, you're so cute.
0: <laughs> but Betha- Maybe an azium. Betasium, or magnesium. An isium, like strengthens the immune system. Maybe white blood cells.
1: Ooh, that is a part of the immune system. Look at you, being all smart. Okay, so uh, I'm going to agree with you that it does... What was that? Yeah, <laughs> That there is a immunofunction to garlic. I think it has something to do with its pungency, how garlic is so pungent. I think um, it's like some sort of concentrated component which assists in the body. And I think it, it may be... I almost want to say acidity, but for some reason I don't think of garlic as acidic. But something like that, a very pungent, powerful source. Garlic is concentrated. Packets of awesome. Garlic. Most recent medical studies indicate that garlic can indeed protect against a whole range of diseases, if not evil spirits and vampires. (laughs) Ancient Egyptian sages reported 22 Medicinal uses for garlic, and according to the folklore, garlic can do everything from healing open wounds to extending the life of those who eat it religiously. To an amazing degree, science bears this out. The biochemistry of a garlic bulb is extremely complex. Ooh, and you had spoke of its complexities. Bruising or crushing a clove sets off a stream of chemical reactions that form dozens of compounds that are credited with having medicinal effects. The way in which you cook garlic, how fresh it is, and whether you're using a processed form or the bulb, such as garlic powder, also affects its medicinal properties. Fresh garlic, either raw or cooked, produces the most benefits. One or two cloves a day should suffice.
0: What can One or go- two cloves a day? Yeah, that's a lot. What can garlic clove, do? Sorry. Yeah, is the- clove like the whole bulb or just one of those little... One of the little... Oh, that's not that bad. Things in the bulb. But you just have to have garlic in anything.
1: Yeah, but that's
0: that's a lot of garlic. But I I could see it would be. Yeah, but you can hide the taste of that little of a garlic. But just every day.
1: Yeah. Joe Rogan talks two.
0: about putting them in his drinks. Oh, he does. Remember, he says he puts garlic and kale and.
1: That's smart to do you one of
0: those super smoothies. Maybe we should start doing that. We both have smoothie machines.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that would be smart. Just choke
0: her down. Get all the good stuff in us. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um. Take super poops.
1: Yeah. Poops are good. I think poops are kind of underrated in society.
0: Yeah, they get rid of all the bad shit in you. Mm -hmm. It's like their function.
1: So it talks about uh, garlic can lower the risk of uh, stomach cancer. Uh, As Louis Pasteur discovered in 1858, garlic kills bacteria. Garlic may impede other cancers. Garlic may help prevent heart disease disease garlic appears to make blood platelets less sticky, meaning that they are less likely to clump together and form dangerous clots. Garlic also seems to reduce acetylchlorosis or hardening of the arteries. Ooh, that's a good one.
0: I'm going to eat more garlic.
1: I, You know, crazy as it sounds, I'm on the garlic train. I've always felt that garlic is healthy because of its odd pungency and it's just... It's a neat little
0: critter. Let's buy some, because I think you, it's like a potato. You can buy the sack of it, and it never really goes bad. Well, ours was starting to grow in the cupboard. Yeah, but you can still eat that. When it's growing? You just cut the little green thing off. Hmm, I like it.
1: Uh, garlic can lower blood cholesterol, and garlic... Fuck
0: yeah, let's eat garlic. me? Yeah. This sounds like an awesome thing.
1: Garlic can also be used as an antiseptic to kill fungus and some bacteria. My feet. Yeah, your feet stink. <laughs> Yeah, so that's, um, and I do agree that it is important to do fresh garlic. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that minced garlic that we get in the can. To the me, jar stuff? Yeah, that doesn't feel like it, it's going to have as many health benefits as fresh garlic.
0: Yeah, me too. And we need to learn to use that garlic press. You found it again, remember?
1: I probably got rid of it, though.
0: No, you found it. I just oh. used it. Oh, okay. It's in the drawer. And I didn't know, I, like, I mashed it on both sides, and it didn't work very well. <laughs> yeah. It just got flattened into, like, a pancake. Like, it didn't go through the holes like it's supposed to.
1: Yeah, I think you did it
0: backwards. Well, I did it both sides, because mm-hmm. I thought I did it backwards, and I did it the other way. and It was even worse <laughs> than the first way.
1: Oh, you're so
0: cute. So I, yeah. Did I use nuts, though, in it? Was it nuts or garlic? Either way, whatever I used sucked.
1: I think you used the pine nuts to make the pesto sauce.
0: That was just straight up in the food processor.
1: You mean the blender?
0: Yeah. The blender. The, 20, the, blender.
1: the $18. <laughs> the food processor. Yeah, you put it in the machine, you know.
0: Yeah. The $18 blender, that's actually pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. The listener challenge of today is uh, eat more garlic. Hmm,
1: I like that. Eat more garlic. And for some reason, I think... Garlic might be good for animals. It's either terrible for animals or good for them. Look it up. but
0: Yeah, don't say that. What if they go and give it to the pet? Because they're like, Lynn said it was good. <laughs> Lin-
1: it's not good Lin- for your
0: pet until looking at it. Look Lin- it up online. You didn't hear from us. It's bad for your pet.
1: Lynn said garlic's good for the fish. No, it's not. <laughs> I don't think mantis would like
0: garlic. Mantis doesn't like shit besides cookies. Look, Look at the fat he's sitting bug sitting
1: right there at the edge of the tank. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so. I need a shower. Yes, you do. Listener challenge. Eat more garlic. You heard it here first. And happy anniversary to my sweet, the light of my life. The most precious thing in, in my life is you, my sweet.
0: Mm, thank you. Couldn't I ask for a better partner to spend three rotations of the earth with? Love you very much. Happy I anniversary.
1: You. I love you too. Mm.
0: So, we'd like to wish everyone health happiness, and a humble perspective, you're supposed to do the other half. Okay.
1: Diligence today
0: equals a thriving community tomorrow.
1: Enjoy.